Podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, Guys, as always, I just want to thank everybody for all the support, all the downloads, all the subscribes, all the listens. You guys have been fantastic. Another big week here on Locked On Browns. Uh, Baker Mayfield, a two-game winning streak, and a month of some pretty solid football obviously brings all that iTunes ratings and reviews. Uh, Guys, please keep those coming. It helps with the growth of the show, and I am always appreciative of that. Um, We're going to sit here, uh, sit down here today with uh, CBSSports.com, Chris DiPasso. We're going to get into some draft prospects. We're going to get in a little bit of the rookie quarterback play, as Chris out in Western New York knows a little bit about the rookie quarterback game himself. Um, From CBSSports.com, Chris DiPasso. Chris, how's everything going? Going pretty good, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no, I do appreciate it, Chris. Uh, and like I said, you know, we're, we're, we're tr- trying to open it up here, get as many uh, different voices as we can on the show as you know the show continues, you know, to progress here as you know with the success of the team and uh, you know moving on from the, the three the three lettered former coach of this team that nobody wants to talk about anymore. So uh, you know everybody's everybody's excited. But Chris, first things first. Um, everyone's got to ask. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield. Uh, what are the thoughts here? I mean, it, it's. It's impressive what he's doing, but it's impressive alone the situation that he was, you know, originally drafted into here. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, we've talked so much when you look at the other rookie quarterbacks from what was justifiably the most type quarterback class in maybe 15 years. Josh Allen in Buffalo, Josh Rosen in Arizona, um, even Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. Maybe he had the most talent and the best offensive line of that group, even Sam Darnold in New York when you're comparing. Um but to deal with what he was dealing with with his head coach, um, not only just from a mental standpoint and a philosophical standpoint, but uh, really schematically. I mean, what we've seen Baker Mayfield do over the past three games with a different offensive coordinator, um, pretty much a totally different coaching staff in terms of what Mayfield needs to deal with. I've been very impressed um that a rookie quarterback has been able to make such a change in the middle of his rookie season on a team that, again, is not a bottom-of-the-barrel team talent-wise, but is certainly not a group that has amazing wide receivers, the best offensive line in the league. So it's not the best situation ever. Um, so for any rookie, regardless of how many starts he made at college, and I think we've seen the benefits of Baker Mayfield's experience this season – um, it's just been really impressive because we don't see that very often. Yeah, and that's the thing because I mean, even with him not starting at week one, and everybody's so excited to see him and just exactly the guy he's going to be. It's not even that he just became QB one. I mean, he became this team's leader. I mean, instantaneously within the first couple of snaps he took in that Thursday night game with the Jets, you just saw that you had something. And you know, with the the other guys, everybody, you know, all were underclassmen. You know, all about twenty one years of age. You know, Baker was obviously already twenty three, with a much longer game resume in college than everybody else. And when John Dorsey went back to the, well, we figured Baker Mayfield could handle the dysfunction best. Um, and it is, you know, I mean. It, it, the old line of, you know, who can keep, you know, their head and their wits about them while everything else is falling to pieces, you know, is is truly how you judge someone or you know what you have in someone. And you just see it so much with Baker Mayfield. Now, you did bring him up here, Chris, and obviously, you know, where you're located. Um, Josh Allen, for him starting as early as he did in Buffalo, I never thought it was a good idea for Josh Allen. I 100% understand why the Buffalo Bills had to do it. There was no other option whatsoever. How's Josh looked so far? And, you know, look, the one thing Josh Allen before, you know, whatever you thought about him through the draft process, the one thing he was going to need was going to need time. He was going to need games. He was going to need reps. 
because he is a little bit different with you know the rocket arm and, and the the difficulties you know with the shorter you know more touch passes he was going to need a lot of reps he's getting those out of the way thus far this year and surprisingly there's been some wins along the line here with Buffalo and I don't think anyone was going to expect that yeah I mean he's kind of come along slowly but surely I mean he was sidelined for a few games with that elbow injury um, that he suffered in the game against the Houston Texans about a month ago. Um, but you bring up a good point, and it's exactly kind of how I felt about Allen, that he wasn't someone that was going to pick apart a defense in the short passing game, the West Coast offense. Um, but I think now, um, and it was kind of happening before the injury, offensive coordinator Brian Dable has really started to tailor the offense to Josh Allen's strengths. We saw the long touchdown against the Jaguars last week to Robert Foster. Um, Allen is one of the most aggressive quarterbacks in the entire NFL, not just you know among first-year players in terms of average air yards on the field, um, just how often he likes to use that arm. And it's kind of helped the Bills running game. It's helped the intermediate passing game. And of late, and I think part of it has been for one addition on the offensive line, they subbed out uh, Vlad Dukas, who's a veteran that hadn't played particularly well. How he's still in the him. how he's still in the league yeah. and getting meaningful reps is an absolute mystery to me. I don't know. It, it, it shows because he was in Baltimore with now Bills offensive line coach Juan Castillo. So those coaching player connections usually help a veteran like that. Wyatt Teller, the rookie fifth round pick out of Virginia Tech, who had a I mean, when they're talking about experience at the college level, he certainly had that. He's come in and, and helped Allen to not get as much inside pressure. And for as much as I was skeptical of Josh Allen um, in terms of his pro success, at Wyoming, when we did see him play well, it was when he was able to have clean pockets and use that arm um, to his advantage. So we've seen that recently. He certainly is a project in a way because he's not super accurate, because he kind of the opposite of Baker Mayfield. He didn't have a ton of starts in college. He wasn't a four-year player there. Um, But I think things are starting to come along with him, that things are starting to slow down, and which we're kind of seeing it now with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, his offensive coordinator, his coaching staff, is not asking him to do things that he's not good at. They're saying, hey, we don't care if you – you know, only complete 55% of your passes, but if you hit five or six big plays down the field, we're happy with that. So I think overall in the NFL, for as much as we can kind of get on some maybe older coaches for kind of trying to fit uh, square pegs into round holes, we are seemingly getting with Mayfield and Allen um, some coaches, and certainly, you know, with the upper echelon offenses like the Rams, the Chiefs, and the Saints, offensive coordinators that say, hey, I'm not going to try to do anything crazy or anything that you know our quarterbacks are unfamiliar with. Um, so that's why I think from Baker Mayfield recently and Josh Allen, we're seeing better play because they're doing what they're most comfortable with, what they did a lot in college. And that that's the most important thing. And look, I mean, there are so many ways to you know skin the cat you know offensively and things of this nature especially you know with the the influx of you know the offense that you know the college influence that's coming to the pro game you've got to understand that you know whoever your quarterback is there are going to be weaknesses there are going to be deficiencies you have to stop with the old school mentality of you know this is my offense this is how I run things this is how I do things 
it, it just it ends up hurting the player and it ends up cost, costing offense coordinators gigs. You've got to find a way to tailor to what your player does best, like you said. And now with Josh Allen, uh, you know, look, there were some warts. We knew there's some warts. But now that you get to see him play through this rookie year, now when you go into this offseason and you go grocery shopping, you you know and you have an idea what's going to work for a guy like Josh Allen. Maybe you want a Deshaun Jackson guy who can always, you know, threaten vertically. You know, maybe you want, well, not not... Maybe some Kelvin Benjamin types, not necessarily Kelvin Benjamin, but wouldn't you want some guys, bigger guys, with a wider catch radius? Because, you know, Allen is not always the most accurate guy. But now that you get to see, and you're going to get to see with Josh Allen this year, maybe 600, you know, 600 to 800 live reps, it's easier to pair more what you want to do in your scheme and also more what he needs, you know, as far as weapons and things, you know, at his disposal nature. Locked on Browns. We are HitchPodiaSports.com. A little bit of stuff here. Locked on Cavaliers. Chris Manning, my buddy over there, does a fantastic job. Chris is in a similar situation where I wasn't, uh, you know, last fall covering the Browns here, where you're not really sure where the franchise and the direction is headed, but Chris Manning is the guy who gets you all through that on Locked on Cavs. Go ahead, subscribe, and listen to Chris. Get you through your basketball season. Now, I do want to get here, obviously. Chris, we're going to get to some stuff here uh, draft-wise. Um, I'd say four or five weeks ago, one of the biggest needs we've said when we talked about the Cleveland Browns was left tackle. We're getting some better left tackle play. Uh, you know, I don't know, you know, with Greg Robinson here over a nice three-week stretch where he's actually been pass blocking better than he's been run blocking, which was never the MO for Greg Robinson. But, you know, some work with LaCharles Bentley, you know, over the last two off seasons, it seems like the light's going on a little bit. But there's still going to be a need for tackle, whether you're going to upgrade at right tackle because Chris Hubbard right now is not living up to his contract, where maybe Greg Robinson goes to the right. But offensive tackle play, there's still going to be a need for another guy here. Interior, they run four deep right now with Austin Corbett. I think they thought he would be a left tackle. It's not working out. And now he's stuck in a position. Well, he is hurt, but he's stuck in a position where he's the fourth best interior offensive lineman. Normally, you don't get to have your pick of the litter offensive line as you get to week 13, as the Browns have. You know, they've been very blessed injury-wise in that. But some of the tackle play here, give me some names of the guys that are kind of catching your eye here, Chris. Um, I'll start with uh, Joey Williams from Alabama. He, to me, is kind of the tackle version of Zach Martin when he was coming out of Notre Dame in 2014. I think some teams like Zach Martin will view Jonah Williams as a guard because he's not this, you know, 6'6", 325-pound with 36-inch arms tackle, but very fundamentally sound. Um, yes, Alabama does like to run the football a lot, but we've seen with Tua, they've thrown the football very effectively, even down the field this season. So he's had to pass protect a little bit longer this year than he did in his first two seasons. He started at right tackle. I actually thought his true freshman season in 2016 was better than last year, but this season at left tackle again, um, in terms of just his footwork, um, the timing of his punch, the accuracy of his punch. Um, he's just always balanced. He can deal with counter moves. He's, to me, the best offensive lineman in the class. Um, and then Dalton Reisner um, from Kansas State actually started in 2015 at center. He's big. He's 6'6", um, maybe a little bit underweight for what some NFL teams want. But kind of like Jonah Williams, you watch him, and he's he's almost boring to watch. He just blocks everything, um, not you know a waist bender whatsoever. Um, his feet are always underneath him. He's great in the run game on combo blocks. Um, he's not a you know an athletic specimen, but I think he's quick enough to kind of deal with speed rushers at the NFL level. I think, and he is older. He's a redshirt senior, so 
I think those two, especially Reisner, if you want just a pure right tackle, can come in and start right away. And then kind of the X factor to me is Greg Little from Ole Miss. Um, he's the guy that's, you know, 6'5", 320-so pounds, long arms, looks like an NFL left tackle, and has long stretches where he can just pass, protect um, anything that's coming at him. But he does have some, you know, fundamental issues with his footwork. He can get a little bit off balance, and when he sees a counter move, he doesn't really know how to um, kind of counter that counter move. Um, so I think he's someone that an offensive line coach would love to try to mold. You would be taking somewhat of a Greg Robinson-type risk with picking him. Um, I think he's more polished than Robinson was um, when he came out of Auburn. He was just kind of a late riser when Auburn won that uh, national title or was in that uh, national title game. But mm-hmm. uh, So those three, to me, are probably at the top, and, and they're all kind of you know different types. It really just will depend on what flavor you want. Um, at that uh, outside spot on the offensive line. Yeah, first things first, Chris. You were about to get my Florida State blood boiling over that one. Um, but if there's one thing, if there's one thing we've learned and, and we've uh, we've learned here over the last couple of years is with the you know with the NCAA playoff races, it's great that a guy looks great in those two games. But let's not just take a guy who was you know maybe a you know bottom of the end of a first round prospect and elevate him thirty picks because he looked good under a national spotlight. And it's happened with a couple of guys. Greg Robinson is a huge, huge one here. And I think all of us you know, who follow the draft, this is something we've kind of learned here over the last couple of years. Is you got to be careful with the flavor of the month or the flavor of the week sometimes because you know you got to dig deeper and find it. And look, Greg Robinson was a supreme run blocker. And now it's taken him years, and for the last few weeks, with uh, even from Pro Football Focus, the pass protection grade has graded well. Um, the run blocking has you know dropped a little bit, which was always his mo. But you have faith in him getting back to a form of something that he's already shown, as opposed to you know f- ne- hoping to never see something that you haven't seen. So it's going to be interesting how it plays out with Greg Robinson. Obviously, a big five game stretch here as they close out the season. Cleveland Browns with Greg Robinson. Because, look, I mean, if you can get a left tackle off the scrap heap, I mean, that is just an added bonus because it is you know, one of the premium positions and usually requires you know a premium to put into it, whether it's a pick or whether it is a large, large salary cap amount in free agency. If they're able to pull it off that way, I mean, it's it only you know works as a coup at the end of the day. The wide receiver position here, um, you know, Jarvis Landry obviously traded for, paid a lot of money to. Um, it's not working out as far as the financial aspects of the deal. They need an X. They need a they need a big guy. You know, Bashard Perriman's doing a couple things here, and this is another one similar to Greg Robinson, which is great. I mean, you know, you, you know, guys bust, and nobody ever wants to. You know, nobody wants to see it for the guy. Look, these guys played football all their lives. They want to find a level of success. Bashard Perriman's doing some good things. He hasn't shown anything where you're not going to go out and try to upgrade the position. But I mean, there are some. You know, there's some big old stallions. Whether it's a Harry or a Metcalf. Guys that could fit this mold here as the, as the X guy for the Cleveland Browns. So give me some thoughts on some of those guys, Chris. Yeah, I mean, overall, I love this uh, class of wide receivers. And, and I, I've seen a little bit, and certainly everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but I've seen on Twitter a little bit that this wide receiver class isn't that good. And it's all, they, they do uh, this every year. I mean, the, and then these guys come in yeah. and you get five, six guys who catch 65 to 70 balls as rookies. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the state of offense in the NFL kind of morphing from the Big 12 or what we've seen in college. I mean, the college game is about passing. The NFL game is becoming about passing. I think wide receiver now is a premium position, too. Um, so it's not surprising that 
with all the passing and all the yards and all the touchdowns at the college level that we're seeing some really talented wide receivers. And you're right about these guys being stallions. This is not, I mean, there's the Marquise Brown out there who's under five or who's under six foot um, that can stretch the field. Um, but um, kind of like you were saying, DK Metcalf, six foot four, he does have a neck injury, but someone that, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to put him in, the Calvin Johnson territory because that's you know really only should be used for Calvin Johnson. But at six four and two hundred and twenty five pounds, the speed that DK Metcalf has down the field and the ability after the catch was special um, while he was at Ole Miss. And then you have his teammate AJ Brown, who's probably one of the bigger slot receivers that we've seen in terms of being a prospect coming into the NFL in a long time. Outstanding after the catch. Nikhil Harry from Arizona State, 6'4", has been an alpha wide receiver his entire time, all three years at Arizona State from the second he stepped on uh, campus there in 2016. High pointer, I I think people are kind of saying that he's not athletic enough or he's not twitchy, but if you watch Arizona State, especially this season, it was either a go route or a bubble screen. And on some of those bubble screens, he was making four and five guys miss getting down the field. Is he someone that you're going to want to feature that way at the NFL level? Probably not, but I think he's certainly athletic enough, and he's going to be a great chain mover um, and obviously someone in the red zone, too, because of his size and his athleticism. Calvin Harmon from NC State, mm-hmm. um, a little bit smaller, but he's still six foot three. Great. How funny is that? How funny is it that you just said a little bit smaller, but he's still six foot three? It just tells yeah, you about some of the guys in his class. Three. Yeah, he's six three two fifteen. Great in the back shoulder game has been Ryan Finley's number one target for the past couple seasons. Now he might fly fly under the radar a bit, but I don't really see any huge flaws with his game. He's pretty fast, runs pretty good routes, um, and again he's six foot three and two fifteen. So he's going to box out and jump over most cornerbacks at the NFL level. JJ Arcega Whiteside from Stanford. Um, we'll kind of have to see at the combine where he or how he stacks up athletically, but he reminds me of Mike Evans a lot. I mean, Evans wasn't someone that was, you know, a 4-4 guy coming out of uh, Texas A&M, but in terms of jump ball situations and rebounding, our single white side is in Evans' territory in that it seems like those 50-50 balls are about 90-10 balls, <laughs> especially in the red zone. He just had three touchdowns, all of the high-pointing variety against UCLA last week. Um and he's been doing this for three seasons at Stanford. He's around 6'3 or 6'4 as well. Um, so there's just so many big guys. One other uh, person that just popped into my head, too, there's just so many. Hakeem Butler from yep. Iowa State. I think a team that loves DK Metcalf um, but doesn't want to spend a first-round pick on him or can't. Hakeem Butler, who also I think could move into the first round after the combine, but it's probably a second-round pick at this point. He's like 6'6", and in terms of getting down the field, he's as good as any receiver in the country, averages over 20 yards a catch, has had some highlight reel grabs, Randy Moss style, um, and then great after the catch as well. He's very physical. Um, so he's someone, too, that I think can come in, even if he is a second-round pick, come in, be that X receiver, um, open up the middle of the field because there is going to be a tension on him um, on the perimeter. So this class... Yeah, there's probably not a Julio Jones, there's probably not a Kelvin Johnson, but those guys are are rare. I think from the middle of the first to the middle of the second, we're going to see potentially, which I don't know what the exact number is, 
but a record number of wide receivers get selected. And not only where they get picked, I think, like you mentioned, right away, first, second season, to be very productive players early in their careers. Well, and that's part of what you're saying, though. And the first thing is, is look, you know, there might not be a Julio Joneses, but you look at what some of these teams are doing. It's, you know, they're developing, you know, if you want to equate it to basketball, five five guys that are all capable of doing something, as opposed to a Julio mm-hmm. Jones or some of these bigger wide receivers who you got to command 10 to 15 targets to. And that's one of the you know issues I have, you know, because, you know, the, oh, maybe Odell Beckham will, uh, will be traded. Baker Mayfield doesn't need that, and I think the le- worst thing for Baker Mayfield would be having a guy where he's got to feel, I've got to feed him 10 to 12 times a game. Baker Mayfield, it doesn't matter who your name, who you are, it doesn't matter what your name is, if you ran your route correctly and you're open and you are show to be reliable and actually catching the ball, you're getting it. So you know, that true number one, I mean, granted, there's always going to be guys who fit that role you know, with the height and the athletic and all of it, but it's not always the best thing for a team because, you know, Obviously, you know, other teams know what you want to do, and then you get in the position of where we didn't get him the ball enough. At the end of the line, it's at the end of the day, it's about scoring enough points and you know, and winning the game, and it doesn't matter the recipe and how you got there. I do like what you brought up about Nikhil Harry. He does get a little bit of a reputation of poor athletically, and I go back to the one reception early in the year. I think he caught he caught like a, a three yard speed out on the left side of the field, literally crossed all the way around, you know, beat four or five defenders on the play. Guy's athletic. I, yeah, you know anybody who's thinking differently, you definitely confused on that one, guys. This is the Locked On Browns podcast with Chris Trapasso from uh, CBSSports.com. We're going uh, here with the young quarterbacks. We've done some offensive prospects draft wise. Um, Locked On NFL. Matt Williamson does a fantastic job. Your Monday show, you get hosts like myself from the Locked On Network. Tuesdays, you get Sage Rosenfels. Uh, Wednesday, you get Mike Renner from PFF. Thursday, you get Mike Sandor from ESPN. Friday, Matt Williamson sits down, picks the entire slate of the games for the weekend. Guys, go ahead and use mybookie.com if you like to match picks and uh, you know use them to uh, you know help you make your wagers for the weekend. With the Locked On NFL podcast with Matt Williamson, uh, put it in the rotation, guys. Matt works really hard and puts together a consistent weekly lineup of greatness. Uh, defensively here, Chris, and this is probably, in my opinion, what is the biggest need for the Browns. This defense, as good as it is, I think one more interior defensive line piece, and this is probably the year to do it. You get one more interior defensive line piece, and this defense is literally just going to be completely unstoppable. And it is a great, great group of guys, Chris. Yeah, definitely. And and I think for as much as I just talked up the wide receiver class, this defensive line class is even better. It came in to the season as a very hyped defensive line class. And what to me has been the most interesting, it's not all the names that we expected before the season. Quinnen Williams from, from Alabama really wasn't on the radar. I mean, he barely played just because of all the first-round talent in front of him on the Crimson Tide, and he might go in the top ten at this point. I mean, he's you know someone that, that just looks and plays well beyond his years with his hand use, with his burst off the snap. He knows where blockers are coming from. He's a great run defender because of his hand use, and that helps him, obviously, as a pass rusher. Um, really, you could take any of these top defense alignment, and I do think they are going to go off the board early, but I think that there will be some good starting caliber and, and good starting caliber prospects available in the second round. Um, I do think that the Browns, and you're probably more of the expert on this than me, could use someone who can get up the field a little bit better on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed Oliver is obviously the the uh, marquee name there who, who does have 
Aaron Donald type athleticism. I don't think he was the prospect that Donald was coming out. I think Donald was in terms of his athleticism and his hand use was almost flawless as a prospect at the defensive tackle spot. Um, but Draymond Jones from Ohio State is really good in that aspect. Um, he's kind of cooled off of late, so he could potentially fall into the second round. Um, really, though, for a team like the Browns, I totally agree with your assessment that they do you know, need maybe one more blue-chip-type prospect on their defensive line to really explode on that side of the ball. Um, this would be the draft, to, you know, if you're the Browns, to go X receiver in the first round and then defensive lineman in the second, and you're getting two potential Pro Bowl players down the road. Yeah, and that's, I think a lot of it's going to come down to where they end up falling here, you know, sitting around 11 mm-hmm. or 12 right now in the yeah. draft. Five games to go. I mean, look, they could end up closer to 20. They could end up, you know, back inside the top 10. Um, having the tie on their record, we all know that somehow, you know, the, the tie is always going to be, it's always going to be interesting. You know, I mean, it, it could help. It could certainly hurt. You know, and either way you view it, you know, that, that tie just sits there lingering like just a big question mark as to what your record ends up, you know, totally being viewed as. Um, now, uh, with the deta- defensive tackle position, um, I know they made an emphasis. They were calling around down, uh, you know, towards the trade de- deadline. They love Joe Schobert. Uh, Jamie Collins is probably going to get moved on from Christian Kirksey, you know, up and down before his, you know, season-ending injury. But I know they wanted to get more athletic at the position, at the linebacker position, to help with covering the running backs of the world. We've seen, you know, James Conner in the two games they played the Steelers. They had a hard, hard time containing him. And James Conner, not even, you know, the most you know, ultra-athletic running back, but you saw they had issues containing a guy like him. Uh, some thoughts here, maybe some linebackers, some of these athletes who can maybe, you know, run with some of these incredible backs in the NFL right now? Yeah, um, I'll start with Ben Burkirvin from uh, Washington. He's going to get knocked by some teams um, because he's not the, what I think now is, is really the antiquated idea for how big or how, you know, tall linebackers have to be at that off-ball spot. He's about six foot. He's 220 something pounds. But you watch him. I mean, in terms of a polished linebacker prospect, getting off blocks, knowing where they're coming from, sifting through traffic for the run game, and then most importantly in coverage, um, he to me is the best in all those areas. The combine will be big for him. I don't think he doesn't look slow on the field, but I think when you are that undersized in the minds of some GMs and scouts, you do have to run fast. You do have to do in the well, in the vertical, in the broad jump, the three cone. So he's someone that probably won't be a first-round pick. Um, but and I've really seen this up here in Buffalo. Matt Milano was six foot and two hundred and twenty-three pounds at the combine coming out of Boston College two years ago, and he's emerged um, as arguably the best second to third-level player on the Bills' defense. I mean, with Tre'Davious White, Jerry Hughes up front, but. Really, no one expected Milano to really play this well this early, and he certainly doesn't, you know, his lack of size has not really hurt him whatsoever. So I think Burke Irvin um, is someone that would help the Browns immensely because of his athleticism for a team that wants to get more athletic at that spot. Um, another player, Devin White, he's going to be a polarizing prospect coming out of because of the school he's playing at, because of his production. He is bigger. He kind of has more of the traditional off-ball linebacker size, maybe a little over six foot, close to 240 pounds, and just supremely athletic. He reminds me a lot of Miles Jack when he was mm-hmm. coming out of uh, UCLA that, you know, just physically and from a springy athleticism standpoint, it's it's really fun watching him. Doesn't really take the best angles to the ball. He misses 
too many tackles, I think. I mean, he's in position a lot, but kind of dies at the running back's legs when he should just take one more step and wrap up. Um, and I don't know in terms of his, you know, play recognition skills, because he is relatively younger. He's only a junior. Um, how great he is in that area. His athleticism makes up for that sometimes. But a lot of it, you want your linebackers to be able to read their keys quickly. Um, no one is play action. No one is not play action. Um, so Devin White, someone I could see him going literally because he is this talented and he's at LSU and he's got this eye going inside the top 10. And if that one team doesn't fall in love with him that's picking there, I could see him falling later into the first, maybe even into the second round. Um, so he's someone, and certainly it seems as though most people do have him as a first-round pick. Those two in terms of athleticism and um, just what they can bring from a multifaceted standpoint to a defense and to the Browns would be the two that pop into my head right away um, that probably will go in the first, second, or third round um, and be good players that are, that are ready to start and contribute as rookies. And that's what they're going to need. I mean, they're not far off. And I think the thing with the linebacker position is, I mean, you literally have to be that dude where you've got the market share of a college career where you had 100 tackles per. You need to test mm-hmm. through the roof. You need to do well on the whiteboard. Because with the linebacker position now, there's a lot of defenses where it's a first and maybe not even a second down position because you're, you, know, you have these safeties, hybrids, that if it's going to, it looks like it's an obvious passing down, you're going to bring them up. You know, the guys who are 6'1", you know, you know similar to the linebacker to Washington, you brought up these guys who were six, six foot one, two twenty to two twenty five can run, and they're just better matchups when everybody's going to go, you know, four and f- four or five wide, or they're they're going to start featuring their, you know, their their pass receiving running backs, guys like Duke Johnson, etc. So it, it, it it's tough, I, and I think we're going to gravitate more to this. It's going to be really tough for linebackers to find their way in the first round, just because of the state of the game. And if you want to go to that Monday nighter between Kansas City and the Rams, where it's fifty three fifty one, if teams are going to only run the ball ten to twelve or ten to fifteen times a game, you're not going to put such a high high investment into the linebacker position because you're going to be more worried about you know covering all these jackrabbits crisscrossing the field in every which way possible. Um, cornerback position, Chris. Now I think. You know, like you know, there, there was philosophies years ago. You know, some of these, you know, the older school GMs of you take a quarterback every year, you just keep drafting one. I think cornerback, we're at a position here now where it might be a position where if you have all of your picks or even have you know one or two more than the you know seven that every team would have, you're just going to take keep taking cornerbacks because whether it's injury or whether it's play or some of these guys look. I mean, they just if you have a rough day because you played you know the Saints or you played the Rams or you played the Chiefs. And, you know, you need to get off the field a little bit and get your head right. You need, you. I mean, when you have five to six cornerbacks on your roster, you got to have faith that you can use all these guys. So uh, a couple thoughts here on the cornerback class. But this is, be, I mean, just more and more. This is becoming an, an extremely important position because with all the passing that's going on, you've got to be able to sub these guys in if they need a break or if they're getting torched a little bit. You can't just have a cornerback around and say, all right, well, he's the gunner on the punt team. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. And then more specifically with the Browns, I mean, they certainly have looked like they hit a home run with picking Denzel Ward, that kind of controversial pick inside the top five um, in this past draft. But they need someone opposite him, like you mentioned, because you're not just facing one good receiver in today's NFL. You could be facing three or four. I mean, you um, look at the Rams, you look at the Steelers. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Rams were on pace to have three receivers probably to have 1,200 yards. It's insane, but you need these yeah, coverage absolutely. guys. So, so you definitely need two good ones. You pr- and obviously, the slot corner position is a starting position now. It's not a role player. It's not a gadget player. You need a great slot corner as well. And as I've watched 
more of the cornerback class. I've, I've liked it in terms of a deep group. Greedy Williams from LSU um, and DeAndre Baker, to me, are the two best um, corners that are probably going to go in the first round. They're totally different players. Greedy Williams, 6'2", under 200 pounds, very lanky, but just every time I watch him, I just keep thinking of how smooth he is athletically. That's the word he gives that me I Xavier Rhodes. To. He gives me an Xavier Rhodes vibe. Yeah, that, that he just, even at his size, he's not stiff whatsoever. And some cornerbacks that, that are that, that tall, lanky kind of build, they can be kind of stiff or jagged in their movement, and he's not uh, like that whatsoever. He has long arms, gets his hands on the football a lot, um, kind of runs receivers' routes to a certain degree. Um, and then DeAndre Baker is under six foot, not going to run as fast as uh, Denzel Ward did at the Combine, mm-hmm. or doesn't seem like he's that speedster. But also, he runs receivers' routes. He probably would have been a second or a third round pick if he entered the draft this past year. Um, has had a great senior season for Georgia. We'll see this weekend against Alabama, you know, against that potent passing offense. It'll be a big test for him. But what he's done so far, his body of work throughout his entire SEC career and this year, just getting his hands on the football. Quarterbacks usually like to kind of stay away from him because he's so tight in coverage. He can mirror wide receivers very well. Those two are the guys that I think will go in the first round. Um, and then there's just other ones like Julian Love from Notre Dame, kind of in the DeAndre Baker mold in that he's not going to check the size or the length boxes. And he's probably not going to run you know, under 4-4, anything crazy. But, I mean, kind of like the linebacker spot, that you like to see, you know, 100 tackle seasons, multiple. Uh, you like to, I mean, I like to see from the cornerback spot, um, certainly athleticism matters, length matters. I like to see production. I like to see pass breakups, interceptions, and Love has been, you know, one of the most disruptive corners in the entire college football um, over the past couple seasons. So he's someone that could maybe play the slot because he's a little bit smaller, not the quickest, but just great instincts. Um, reads quarterback size quickly, reads route concepts quickly. Again, they're another team, Notre Dame, that will be under the spotlight the next couple of weeks and months. Um, so big test for him coming up. Um, it's a really good class, and if you're looking for a slot corner, Byron Murphy from Washington, Yep, they play in, in the Pac-12 uh, title game this weekend. He's someone that, kind of like DeAndre Baker, kind of like Julian Love, smaller, but with how much yards after the catch and short passing there is in the NFL, I don't think teams are placing as high of a priority on being six foot one at the cornerback spot to go in the first round. I think if you're 5'11 and you can cover slot receivers um, and, you, and you're pretty good in the run game, then you'll have a decent chance to go early in the draft. And Byron Murphy, I mean, we've seen that Washington program just send a lot of quality cornerbacks um, to the NFL and I think Byron Murphy's really like kind of the next first round caliber prospect. Very, very twitchy. Um, I think his time speed um, will kind of determine where he ultimately falls. I don't know how crazy fast he is down the field, but in short areas, you know, like we always hear about short area quickness and hip fluidity, stuff like that during mm-hmm. the combine. I think Murphy will really shine in those areas. So there's four cornerbacks right there that. Um, who are all kind of different in their own way, um, but should be available and could be, I mean, whatever you want to call a number two cornerback today, maybe that's your slot guy, but players that the Browns could look at if the board falls in a specific way. 
Well, it's you know, love in the production because you got to keep in mind the way it's trending now. Denzel Ward's going to see a lot less action coming his way as his career mm-hmm. goes on. So if you know you're going to be the number two cornerback to Denzel Ward, you better be ready. You better have your head on a swivel and you better be active with your hands. Um, for DeAndre Baker, hey, I mean, we want to throw another Baker into the mix in Cleveland. Why not? Let's have at it. Uh, guys, this has been Jeff Lloyd and Chris Trapasso here on Locked On Browns. Uh, guys, uh, read all Chris's work over uh, CBSSports.com. Does a fantastic job with the Browns and uh, NFL. Co- I mean, I'm sorry, with the draft and you know covers the Bills and a lot of fantastic NFL coverage as well. Uh, guys, go ahead, follow the show, the Locked On Browns Twitter account. Follow me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd iTunes rating reviews for Locked On Browns. Uh, guys, like I said, it's it's been a great week here. It's been a great month here for the show. We're going to keep it going here, get you a couple more shows before we get into our game on Sunday this week. Obviously, a huge, huge test with the Houston Texans. But look, after a month and seeing what you've done, I get some teams with some bad defenses. You know, Obviously, Houston's going to come with a little bit better calling card on defense. And after a month, it, it's, it's going to be good for a litmus test here to see where we're at with Baker and the boys and how everybody's coming on through. Uh, so until, until we talk the next time, guys, LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.